So this morning we continue our series on the life of Peter, from shifting sand to solid rock. And today is one of those solid rock moments. Actually, when I first uh, proposed uh, this day, I was going to cover quite a bit of Matthew chapter 16, and it was just too much, so I had to cut it in half. And then last week, I had to cut it again. So this is going to be part one of a three-part <laughs> mini-series within this series of, of in the life of Peter when they're at this place called Caesarea Philippi. Hey, have you ever gone on a retreat, like a spiritual retreat? How many of you have ever done that? Quite a few of you. Um, most, I think, uh, or if you've ever been to summer camp where there was a, a spiritual nature for that. Uh, I love retreats and, and things like that. As a matter of fact, we have a retreat uh, that we do as ministers and spouses. It's our pastoral team retreat that we do at Lake Tahoe. And, and I love to go to Lake Tahoe just to go there. It just is so relaxing. And, and I'm away from home. I'm away from the, the routine stuff. And, and I love that. And I, I, I like it, especially when a retreat is a spiritual emphasis, that we set aside the things of our normal life when we go and we concentrate on our spiritual life. Well, that's what happens in our story today. It's the winter before Jesus is going to die at Passover in the spring, and he brought his disciples together in, into Gentile territory. This is about as far north, I think it's as far north as Jesus ever went, and it's as high up as Jesus ever went. So it was a retreat. He went up into the mountains, the foot of Mount Hermon, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And it was there that he revealed to them that he was indeed the Messiah. So here's a picture of that place today. And you'll see there's uh, water coming through there. And in the old days, the water used to flow right out of that cave there in the background. And this place uh, was known in ancient times as uh, Penisia. And it was, a, it was way up there, uh, this place. It's about 1,150 feet above sea level. And this is the headwaters of the Jordan River. From here, the river flows down, cascades down to below sea level at the Sea of Galilee. So they're, they're in, a, in a high place. Uh, very unusually beautiful setting. It's, it was very lush, in, especially in, in that holy land where it's so arid. Uh, and so this is where they went. Now, I want you to notice this cave in the background because the ancient Canaanites, they had built a sanctuary there to Baal, or we say to Baal. And then later on, the Greeks and the Romans both built shrines to the Greek god Pan. Now, you may remember that the, the Greeks had a lot of various gods that had personalities, and this god Pan was, was a very interesting one. He had the torso of a man and the, and the hindquarters of a goat, and oftentimes he has horns, so he's depicted that way. And uh, he was this Greek god of nature and of flocks, and you know that goat and she goats and sheep were very important in agriculture that time but also of the wild, and he was a little bit of a prankster too. So Pan was a Greek god, god of nature, and then what happened is the Romans would adopt all the Greek gods. They didn't come up with their own, they just renamed the Greek gods and, and developed their own gods that way for the most part. So it was this beautiful place, and so that's it came to be associated with nature 
and uh, like when you go to Tahoe and you just feel closer to God. It's that kind of a thing. Well, inside this cave uh, seemed to be this bottomless pit with uh, just this unlimited quantity of water flowing out of it. And uh, that was very fascinating. It was a wonder to the pagans of the day because they just marveled at that, and that, this, that this chasm was the entrance to the underworld, to the place of the dead. And so it was kind of a scary thing, too. They called it Hades, actually. And, and so that was the, the, the site where they built these shrines and the, the, the superstitions, beliefs that they had that day. Well, later on, in the time of Jesus, when he brought his disciples there, a temple had been built in front of the cave. And there had been other buildings. You'll see, see here, others to the side. And so these were built by uh, various leaders of the land in the time. One of them was built by Herod the Great in about 20 B.C. And it was dedicated to Caesar Augustus. And after King Herod's death, his son, Philip, became ruler of that area, and he built a city there, and that became his kind of administrative headquarters uh, in this area, and he called it Caesarea, but there was already another Caesarea over on the coast, so this became known as Caesarea Philippi, or Philip's Caesarea, here also in honor of Caesar, to honor the emperor. Now, this is the place that Jesus chose to take his disciples on a spiritual retreat. They got away from the crowds. They got away from the, the people who were demanding bread and miracles of Jesus. And Jesus needed to spend a special time with his disciples. This is not long before he is crucified. So he had to nail some things down with them. And the important question that he asked them this day was, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? So let's take a look. This is Matthew chapter 16, and we're beginning at verse 13. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Now this time disciples means the 12 disciples. It's the small group with him. And he says this, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And I think that's interesting that Jesus started there because he didn't start out right, on, right away with who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? It's who do the people think I am? And, and, and so then he says, he, well, he actually talked in the third person. Who do they say the Son of Man is? And we talk a little bit about what the Son of Man, that favorite designation that Jesus had for himself. Well, Jesus can't go around saying I'm the Son of God. Actually, that's what's going to happen. He's going to get crucified for that. And he would have been crucified even earlier if he'd have gone by that title. So he uses this title, Son of Man. And that really comes out of Daniel, where there was a vision and that a Son of Man, one like a Son of Man, would come and he would be the Messiah. Well, this term, Son of Man, is very interesting. And it's fascinating that in one of the versions, a brand new version or fairly new version is the Common English Bible. Pastor Vicki read from that uh, a verse this morning. It's very interesting how they translate this. They don't say Son of Man. And they've gotten in a lot of trouble because they don't say Son of Man, the traditional uh, title here. They say, they translate this, the human one. They're, what they're saying is Jesus is the human one, but not just a human one, 
the human one, the one who was God and through our incarnation became man. So Jesus is 100% God, fully God, and fully man. And so they use this translation, the human one, and it got me to talk about it today with you, so I guess you know they're getting their word out. So Jesus starts with this a little less sensitive question, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Well, they give some answers in verse 14. Some say you're John the Baptist. Now, this is interesting because... John the Baptist had been ministering, and, and by this time he had become known as a prophet, and he had been killed by Herod Antipas, Philip's brother. And uh, even Herod Antipas was very upset about this. He really liked John the Baptist, and he was kind of tricked into killing him and manipulated, if you would. And so even Herod was haunted by that and had this sense that John the Baptist was going to come back and get him. Well, so some were saying John the Baptist. Uh, the disciples go on to say, well, some say Elijah. Now, this is interesting because in Malachi, it says that Elijah would come and, and prophesied about the Messiah coming and the re-coming of Elijah. And it's interesting there because here John the Baptist is also mentioned again because in Luke 1, before John the Baptist is even born, it says that he will come with the, with the spirit and the power of Elijah. So even though Elijah was forecast to come again, prophesied, it really is John the Baptist who was that new Elijah. And he did many of those things to prepare the way for the Christ, the forerunner. And so we, we understand that now, that... John the Baptist, is that Elijah. The third one they mentioned was Jeremiah. People are saying, like, you're Jeremiah. Well, what was it about Jeremiah? He was a prophet, and he was in a terrible time in Jerusalem where they were being uh, conquered and taken away into captivity. And he's known as the weeping prophet because he had great compassion and sorrow over what was happening. And so, in many ways, Jesus is like a modern day, at that time, Jeremiah, one who has great compassion over those who are lost. It seems like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they didn't care uh, so much about the people's uh, demise. They just wanted to make sure everybody obeyed all the rules, the laws. So here's Jesus, and he's a very different type. And certainly, he's seen as some kind of a prophet during this time. So it was understandable that the disciples would say, oh yeah, you're, you're one of the prophets or one of the other prophets or you're a modern day prophet. It's interesting here today that Muslims see Jesus as a prophet. Other religions see Jesus as this great moral teacher, as a prophet, but not as God. So I would ask you today, if you went out on the street with a camera and you talked to people, who is Jesus? Who do, who do you think Jesus is? What, what kind of answers do you think that you would get? Well, I got them for you. Here they are. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. 
I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't. I don't think he's the son of God. I don't feel believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like I'm not gonna say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was you know. We're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Um, and he, to me, is the like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that like constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. Interesting, huh? I wonder what kind of answers you would get if you went out on the street. Probably not very different from a lot of that. So as I think about that, I like what that last guy said, that he's this ominous being, but he's God. And then he said, and my friend. Wow. To get to that place. Uh, out of all those people, that's the one I want to be, okay? You know, it's so interesting. When you talk to people today, even, they'll say things like, or what was said in the video, that he is a great teacher or a, uh, a moral leader, uh, that he was a godly man. And those are common responses for who do people say Jesus is. And it is interesting, you know, even other religions I acknowledge him that way. But uh, I, I want to share with you a thought from C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis did a radio program right after World War II. And during that time, there was a lot of despair and hopelessness in, in Britain. And so C.S. Lewis went on the radio, and part of what he did was talk about Jesus, about who Jesus was. And later, these were collected, and they were put in a book called Mere Christianity. And I love this book. Mere Christianity is like simple, basic Christianity. And, well, C.S. Lewis is anything but basic. He's, he's pretty uh, heady thinker. But in this book, the collection of these radio shows, uh, he, he talks about who Jesus is. And I want to share one of those with you. Here it is. This is a quote. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, uh, Jesus. And here's the, the thing that C.S. Lewis thinks is foolish. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Perhaps you know someone like that. He goes on. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. 
you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us come, not come up with any patronizing nonsense about being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. You know, I, I like thinking about what do people see? What do they think about Jesus? This morning I've asked you to think about who taught you about Jesus. Maybe some of you grew up in the church and you learned about Jesus from a very early age. Well, as you face the world today, there are many opinions about who Jesus is. But it really doesn't matter what all those opinions are. It really doesn't matter what people say about Jesus. We can't really make a thorough decision about who Jesus is by taking a poll of all the people. And, well, that's hard for us because we're Americans. We live in a democratic society, and so we want to vote on everything. You know, and, and so what does the majority say about Jesus? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what humankind believes about Jesus. The important thing is not what others say, but it's what do you say? What do I personally say? about Jesus. So let's look on with our scripture in verse 15. Then he, Jesus, asked the disciples again. Now before he said, who do the people say I am? And now he says, but who do you say I am? Much more loaded question. Much more personal. Much more introspective. Who do you say I am? Now, I can imagine there was a great deal of silence at this moment. But then finally, wouldn't you know who would talk? Peter, yay! Peter, Simon Peter answered. And I think this was a realization for him. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And he makes a proclamation of faith. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. And you know this is a serious statement because he uses his whole name. Simon, son of John, you're blessed because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Well, I want you to think about this uh, explanation that uh, Peter makes here in this moment. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ. Now, when he says Jesus is the Christ, what he's really saying is a Hebrew word, Messiah. In the Greek, Christ. They both mean the same thing. And if you're taking notes today, write this down. You are the anointed one. The anointed one. Now, who was anointed? Well, they would anoint animals for sacrifice. They would anoint kings uh, to rule the people and to serve God and priests. And so the idea that there was one who was anointed above all others 
to serve God. That's who Jesus is. So to say that he is the Christ and the Messiah, the anointed one, was a really great beginning here. But then Peter goes on and says, you are the son of the living God. This proclamation says that that Jesus is himself God. Now, now, we get tripped up sometimes in understanding, well, how is God the Father and then Jesus the Son? Well, Jesus must have come after God because God the Father had to be there before the Son, and it's a chicken and egg kind of a thing, right? Well, that, that's hard to understand, but we just use that as a relationship, uh, like understanding uh, a father and a son relationship today. And certainly Jesus, when he became a man, has that kind of relationship with God because he becomes fully human. Before this, he was with God. He was God. And, and, and so he, to be the son of God and the living God uh, really speaks about Jesus' role on earth to share with us so that we too could have a relationship with God. So he... What Simon Peter does is he openly recognizes, he acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God. And notice what Jesus says. He blesses Peter, not for how great an intellect Peter has, not for how wonderful Peter is to come up with this, but look at this. He, he, he says, this is a revelation from God that Peter was smart enough to recognize the Holy Spirit was revealing who Jesus is to him. It didn't come from human means. It came through the Holy Spirit. Now, this confession is a response to the revelation that God had given him. Now, I want to talk about this revelation idea because we have a book in the Bible called The Revelation. We sometimes call it The Revelation of God, or John, but it's not. What it really is, is the revelation of God. It was how God revealed to John these things that he wanted them to understand. Now, do you understand the book of Revelation? There's a lot of symbolic stuff. There's a lot, and people try to research that. You get blessed if you, if you do that. But it, it, it really takes the Holy Spirit to help us understand any of that. And that's what happened the Holy Spirit revealed these things to John. Well, this, that's what happened here too. Peter didn't come up with this on his own. God revealed it to him. And I think that there's some truth there for us. You may have somebody who taught you all about Jesus, but at some point, God had to enter in there and teach you himself who he really is. And that's where we really understand more about not just knowing who Jesus is, but knowing Jesus, not just about him. Uh, I want you to know that there had been other confessions of Christ before this time. Um, Nathaniel was one of those. Nathaniel confessed Christ, Jesus, as the Son of God. This happened in John 1. The first time he met him. And what did Jesus do to deserve this accolade? He said, I saw you under a fig tree. Well, Nathaniel knew, how could that be? Uh, and, and he made an emotional declaration. Wow, you really are something. But know that just before this, Nathaniel had said, well, 
nothing good can come out of Nazareth. So he just made a huge switch in his beliefs. And it was an emotional one. Uh, also, the disciples. The disciples had a moment when, when they declared that Jesus was God's son. This happened to be out in the boat after he stilled the storm. And they go, wow, you really are the son of God. You're spooky. You're scary. You know? But this too was an emotional, they were terrified. Jesus comes and calms the storm. And it was a very, an emotional moment for them to make this declaration. Peter also had a, given a confession of faith uh, after Jesus' sermon uh, about the bread of life. And uh, there was that great catch of fish. And Peter, too, was, was scared about who Jesus was. And he called him Lord and, and God's Son. In fact, even when Andrew had brought his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus, it was the ba as on the basis of this belief. This is the one, the anointed one, the human one, the Messiah. So how did this confession differ from those, the one that Peter made today, from the ones that preceded it? Well, I'll tell you, to begin with, Jesus asked explicitly for this confession. And Peter came up with it, and Jesus said, good answer, way to go. And all the disciples tapped him on the back and said, gee, I wish I would have thought of that. But no, it was, it was the, the Holy Spirit revealed that, and Peter received the revelation. He was willing and able to get it. But I want you to see this. So many times when people make a, have a conversion experience, it's very emotional. And this was not an emotional response. This was not emotion from people who had seen a miracle. This was a sincere statement from a man who had been taught. And with really his whole being began at this moment to understand who Jesus really was. Now, now Jesus could take this confession and he could build on it with these disciples because in just a few more months, he's going to be turning over this work of sharing the gospel with them. And they've got to get it so that they can pass it on. They have to know who he really is. And, and Jesus now knows that he can trust Peter, that Peter can now be led into new steps, uh, deeper truth, uh, greater service, because he's acknowledged. He's heard from God through the Holy Spirit and understands who Jesus really is. Not all the education and learning and teaching in the world can bring you to this place. God has to reveal it to you. And it's not an emotional thing. I, I, I'm concerned when people have dramatic emotional encounters and, and make a, a conversion statement because oftentimes when the emotions fade, so does the faith. And that's a problem. And, and sure, great, I love emotional responses. They get us into that moment of beginning to understand who Jesus is. But at some point, we need a conscious, intellectual, mental understanding of who Jesus is. It's not just about our heart. Our heart has to be engaged. But it's our, really, it's our whole being, being heart, soul, mind, and strength. We put all of that into understanding that Jesus is God. So, 
All of the Lord's ministry up to this point has involved healing, teaching, but most of all, preparing these 12 disciples to carry on the work. And they're going to be able to do greater things because Jesus, when he arises to heaven, is going to send the Holy Spirit back to be with them constantly. The work of the Holy Spirit's happening here, and it happens often. It, it was The Holy Spirit was that work there in John the Baptist's life. And and it was in Jesus' life, and, and it's revealed in Peter today. But Jesus knows that he's got to have these guys prepared, and they've got to have this experience of understanding who he really is, not just emotionally, but with their total being. So the real question today is this. Who do you say Jesus is? Many of us could tell a lot about Jesus. But at some point, it's not about Jesus. It's about you and God revealing his love to you so that you can put your faith in Jesus as God. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, I just thank you that we are gathered here in this church and some people watching online. And, and Lord, many of us believe, we know a lot about you, and we understand who you are. Lord, even today, we thank you for those who have shared uh, with us in the past so that we could know about you. But Lord, I thank you for that moment when we had, maybe we knelt at an altar, maybe we were at a retreat or a camp, Maybe we just were at home by our bed and we knelt and we prayed and your spirit came and we acknowledged that we know you are indeed God and that you came to teach us how to love and yet you came to die for us and to save us. And that's an that's a, a intellectual understanding and an emotional response that we need to have to you. And so, Lord, I, I pray for anyone here today or anyone watching this that, that might be uncertain as about who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. And all they need to do is just open themselves up to say this prayer, Lord, show me who you are. And by your spirit, Lord, reveal that. Prepare our hearts. Make us right for that. And then let us receive that truth. And Lord, I just thank you for all of those who've shared that information with us, but I thank you for your spirit that has made it real. And Lord, I just pray that you would do that for each of us, that we may know who you are and understand who we are because of who you are. And, and Lord, help us. Help us to be bold to share the gospel story, the story about you with other people. And Lord, it's not our job to convince them to be saved. It's our job just to tell them about you. And then you, by your spirit, lead them into salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to share that with others. Make it so, Lord, we pray. Amen. 
Well, that concludes our service, but I have one more thing that I would like to, to have you do with me, and I would like for you to look at the Apostles' Creed. Now, we're in this time where we are not able to sing in church, and the other thing we're not able to do is do recitations. We are not able to um, recite this creed, but that's okay. Because I don't want you just to say this. I want you to see it and, 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 and analyze it for your own self today. This Apostles' Creed goes way back. This, is, this was orally put together, even maybe as early as the time of the Apostles, so that they could have a, a simple statement of belief that they could share with other people. So they got together, they agreed on this, and it really wasn't written down till about 300 years later. That's a long time, but they carried it pretty well for 300 years. Then later on, there's other creeds, the Nicene Creed. And, and so this Apostles' Creed is, one of the, is, is the earliest creed, and it's simply statements of belief. Now, in our church, the Church of the Nazarene, we have like 16 statements of belief, and you can, you can go to nazarene.org and, and explore those. Uh, and they include uh, much more information than is right here. But this is one of the brief uh, creedal statements for the early church. When a lot of people didn't know how to read and write, they could memorize this and they could know about Jesus as they met him and discovered who he really is. So I, I'd like to, to read it to you, and I'd like for you to respond just in your heart, not out loud, uh, to what these statements mean to you. It starts out very personal. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, this is a very simple belief. Lots of people believe that God is the creative force in the universe. Nothing personal about this much of the creed. This is all it really says about God the Father. Most of the creed is about Jesus, and that's the section we enter now. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And here are basic beliefs. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Isn't that interesting? Pontius Pilate got his name in a creed. He didn't really deserve it. What did he do? He, he had Jesus killed. But you know, even that, there's evidence even in, in the Bible that Pontius Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Maybe he too was coming to a belief. And I hope before he died, he came to full understanding about who Jesus is. But he got his name in this creed, and that gives us historical reference for that Jesus was a real person, just as Pontius Pilate, Julius Caesar, all those were, were real people. And so it gives us that historical context. It goes on to say that Jesus was crucified, that he was dead, and he was buried, and that he descended into Hades. This is interesting because we went to that place that they referred to as the place of the dead, the realm of the dead, Caesarea Philippi, that cave, that bottomless pit. And Today, there's no water flowing out of that. There's been a geological change or something. But people go there today still looking for God in the place of the dead. We look for God in the place of the living.
And so that's a, that's a crucial thing for us to, to believe that Jesus died. But the next part says, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. This is the thing that is different from Jesus from all other religious founders or leaders, that he is alive today. It says that he ascended into heaven and he sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come. He's going to come again uh, at the end of this church age, the end of the age of grace, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. I always liked it when it said the quick and the dead. In the old-fashioned language, quick means alive. The living and the dead, it just means that everyone is going to be judged by Jesus on how they lived, on what they did with, with uh, his name as they came to understand him as Lord and Savior. Then it goes to the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church, universal. By the way, this used to say the Holy Catholic or the Catholic Church, and the word Catholic with a small c just means uh, universal, all believers. Um, because the word Catholic has been so associated with the Roman Catholic Church that little clarification was made here. So the church universal, meaning Catholics too, okay? All right. And the communion of the saints. This is our relationship to each other. Everybody who believes is a saint of God. And we have this communion, this, this connection with each other. Also, the forgiveness of sins. The important thing that Jesus did, not just teaching us how to live, but he forgave our sins. The resurrection of the body. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus, his body, but we also believe that we, after we die, will have new bodies. We will be resurrected too and have eternal life, which is the last line, and life everlasting. Now there's one more word. Do you see it? I'd love for you to say it. Amen. The last word is amen. Amen means... May it be so. So whenever you offer a prayer and you end with amen, you're asking God to make it so. Because it may not be right now, but it's putting your desire, I want this to be. Uh, the Beatles said it with let it be, but it kind of means amen too. Amen. May it be so. So, May this proclamation of, Jesus, of, of Peter by the Holy Spirit revealing it to him, may that be revealed to you. And may it be so in your life today. God bless you. Next week, we'll look at part two of Caesarea Philippi in the life of Peter.